Well, it has been a wild month for Gonzaga Athletics, and even though the last week was a bit of a break, there is still a ton to discuss heading towards the NBA draft, and today's episode touches on a little bit of everything as we answer listener-submitted questions all episode long right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, more odds, and more lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. I want to thank all of you who have continued to make Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. I also want to thank all of you who have checked the show out on YouTube. Over 700 subscribers shooting for 1,000 by the start of the season. I'm very confident we are going to get there. If you are a listener to the show and you have not subscribed yet, very simple. Go to YouTube.com, search Locked On Zags, find the channel, hit that big subscribe button. All right, today is Mailbag Monday. A reminder for any of you who want to participate in Mailbag Monday but have yet to do so. Very, very simple to do so. You can just email me at andypatton 13 at gmail.com whenever you are thinking of a question. You can send multiple emails, multiple questions per email, whatever it is that you want to do. You can also reach out to me on Twitter at scorezagscore or at LockedOnZags. You can ask questions that way, either via DM, or you can respond to a tweet that I post on Sunday morning soliciting questions from my personal account. Respond to that. You'll get your question answered in the show. All right, today we have eight, nine, excuse me, nine questions to answer, three per segment. We're going to start out here with a question from Jacob Quarter 2. He says, when looking at this Zags team, is there a past team that you get a similar vibe from? Yeah, I think we talked about this a couple of times on the show already. There's a lot of similarities for this upcoming year's team and the 2020-2021 team. Of course, that team with Jalen Suggs and Drew Timmy in the in the post. The, the main similarity, and it depends on what Mark Few decides to do this year, but I'm operating under the assumption that Mark Few is going to start Julian Strother at the four, and they're going to play a lot of three-guard lineups between Malachi Smith and Rasir Bolton and Dominic Harris and the two freshman guards from last year, Hunter Salas and Nolan Hickman. Between all of those guys, they're going to play those three guys or three of those guys at the guard spot, Strother at the four, Timmy at the five. Now, they may not do that. Anton Watson could start at the four, Efton Reed could start at the four, and, Drew, and Julian Strother could play more at the three, and you might just have a traditional two-guard lineup. In that case, they're not going to look quite as similar as last year's roster, but my expectation is that they're going to look very similar to that 2020 team. Uh, now, there are differences, obviously. No Jalen Suggs. That's a pretty significant di- impact. And a lot of people have pointed out concern about how much of Gonzaga's guard play this season is is new. Guys who have not played very much in the program or have not played at all in the program. It's worth pointing out that if we're making comparisons to that 2020 team, that was the same case there. That team had Jalen Suggs, who was, of course, a true freshman. They had Andrew Nembhard played a significant role on that team. That was his first year in Spokane. And then Aaron Cook, the grad transfer guard that they had, he was also brand new to the program. So three of the four guards in the rotation outside of Joel Eiai had virtually, or not virtually, had zero experience playing in Spokane under Mark Few before that season started. This year, that will not be the case, of course, with Bolton coming back with Hickman and 
Salas both having a year of experience under their belt, but Smith is obviously new to the program, so that's going to be a difference for them as well. Uh, Dominic Harris, not new to the program. He's been around it for two years, but doesn't have a ton of playing time under his belt. But I see a team that has a relatively new rotation of guards that is likely to play a six foot seven outside shooter at the four spot, which gives them a ton of offensive flexibility. It allows them to space the floor and let Drew Timmy operate in the middle but it leaves them more susceptible on the defensive end of the floor to teams with multiple talented post players, bigger teams, more physical teams. They have a lot of the same strengths and a lot of the same weaknesses as that 2020 team, which of course that team didn't lose a game until the national championship. So certainly not the worst team to be compared to, although we will see if those flaws are more likely to be exploited by teams who saw what Baylor did a couple years ago and may try to do that same thing to this team as well. Next question comes from Yanks Zags on Twitter, who says, which player from yesteryear would you put on this year's team? Love this question. Got it a lot heading into last year. We'll probably get it a couple more times this year. I kind of think going forward for this season and future seasons, it's always going to be hard for me to not say Chet Holmgren. I honestly see so few situations where Chet Holmgren is not if not the most obvious answer, one of the most obvious answers to this question. In years past, Adam Morrison was always a de facto go-to because of his ability to create his own shot, his outside shooting, all of that. Obviously, he was limited defensively, uh, which for this year's team, because they already have shooters in Rasir Bolton and Malachi Smith, hopefully one of the freshmen develops into it, or the last year's freshman develops into more of a shooter. Julian Strother is a good shooter. And the team, this team is good defensively. I don't think they need a, a black hole defensively and an elite shot creator. That's just not something they need on this year's team. So for me, it's Chet Holmgren or Jalen Suggs. Those are the two options. I don't think you can go wrong picking either of those players. I think if you're picking outside of that group, I'm not saying you're wrong, but I'm saying that it's hard for me to not see how it's one of these two guys. This year's team, their biggest weakness is rim protection. They do not have it. Efton Reed is not a rim protector. He's a good defensive player, and I think he's going to develop into potentially a good rim protector. I don't think it's crazy to imagine that he could be a good rim protector by the end of his Gonzaga career, but I don't expect him to be particularly great at it this upcoming season. Drew Timmy, decent post-defensive player, better than I think a lot of people give him credit for, but he's not a rim protector. That's just not a part of his game. Anton Watson, not a rim protector. Caden Perry is probably the best rim protector on this roster, and health is a significant question for him. And even if he is healthy, there's not much of a role for him on this year's roster. Chet Holmgren immediately solves that problem by being the best rim protector in Gonzaga history. Yes, Brandon Clark was awesome, but Chet Holmgren was better. Uh, Chet Holmgren also adds more offensive versatility. He, you, know, you look at Brandon Clark as a potential option for this question as well. Clark's offensive skill set was limited to being a low post scorer. Him and Drew Timmy would just have a hard time being compatible on the court at the same time. Adding Chet Holmgren, yeah, there are some people who think that Chet and Drew's compatibility offensively was a bit wonky, and it kind of was. And some of that may have been the coaching staff still trying to figure out, and some of it may have just been that these two guys were a little bit hard to be compatible on the court at the same time, but Chet can stretch the floor. He can shoot away from the rim. He's got a mid-range game. He can put the ball on the floor. All of those things would make him, as we know from having seen it for an entire year, an incredible on-the-court partner alongside Drew Timmy uh, and shores up a huge position of need. Now, Jalen Suggs would be an awesome selection here as well. Gonzaga needs kind of a dog, a point guard who can really go out, who can get a bucket, who can facilitate the offense, lead the team. We don't know exactly who is going to run the point for Gonzaga next year. And when we talk about how excited we are about this team, that's, a, that's an unusual question to not have answered at this point. 
It's because they have multiple options. It's not because there is no good talent on the roster. That is very far from the situation. But whether it's Nolan Hickman who blossoms into a star as a sophomore, which is very, very possible based on his pedigree coming in, based on Gonzaga's development program, based on the glimpses we saw from him last year, whether it's Malachi Smith playing more of a traditional point guard role, something he did at Chattanooga and is capable of doing, but most people who are analysts, scouts who've seen him play think that his better skill set is playing off the ball, which is why they thought Gonzaga was such a good fit, because he can play off the ball. He can kind of do the Rasir Bolton thing where instead of being the primary ball handler and the first option, you're a second, third, fourth option, and you can kind of be a more efficient scorer. If that's what the Zags have in mind for Malachi Smith, that's phenomenal, and I think it's going to make him great. I don't think they're going to transition Rasir Bolton back into being a point guard. That would be kind of silly. So that means it's Nolan Hickman, most likely, or Dominic Harris, who I think is more of a combo guard as well, but could be tasked with potentially having some ball handling duties. But all of these problems are solved if you just add Jalen Suggs back to this roster. He's your point guard. Yeah, he plays well off the ball, but you have backup options who can do that. You could bring Hickman off the bench, have Suggs transition to playing more of a two role. He'd be phenomenal. His his defense on the perimeter would be a huge addition to this team. They already have great defensive players. Hunter Salas is awesome on that end in particular, but adding Suggs would immediately boost you on both ends of the floor and give you the kind of guy who can go out and, as we know, hit you a really big shot when you need it. All right, final question of the segment comes from Josh on Instagram. If you do not follow the Locked on Zags podcast on Instagram, just search Locked on Zags. Give me a follow there. Trying to bump that up as well. As well. Anyway, Josh and Watson are both low post scorers who don't spread the floor particularly well. Do, that, do you see that being an issue in trying to play alongside Timmy? And could that potentially open up the door for more minutes for a guy like Ben Gregg? So I think it's more of an opening for Strother, which has kind of already been alluded to in the earlier questions. I think it's more likely to create a situation where Strother plays more at the four and you have four guys who can spread the floor alongside Drew Timmy. When you have that situation, it's very difficult for opposing defenses to to double team him, to pack the, you know, teams like to try to pack compact either a 2-3 zone or just compact a man defense and clog the middle, don't let Drew Timmy get comfortable down there or whoever's playing the post position. And that's really hard to do when everybody else on the floor can knock down an open three. And so I think in this situation, yeah, do I think that Efton Reed and Anton Watson not being particularly good outside shooters could cause an issue of trying to get them playing time alongside Drew Timmy? Yes, I do. I don't think that that means these guys are not going to play at all or that they're not going to play minutes alongside Drew Timmy. They will. Otherwise, you would have two, these two guys would be combining for like 15 minutes per night total between the two of them if they couldn't play alongside Drew Timmy. That's not going to happen. These guys are going to get more minutes than that. I think in particular, Efton Reed is going to play the majority of the time when Drew Timmy is out of the game where I think we'll be more likely to see Anton Watson playing the backup four minutes to Julian Strother, uh, which it doesn't just mean when Strother's off the bench or off the floor. It could also be when Strother is playing more of a three and we're going with a more traditional two-guard lineup. I think there's a lot of options that Mark View has to kind of shake things up. I will say I'm not sure that that necessarily clears a path to playing time for Ben Gregg, although he does have a skill set that none of the backup bigs currently have. Efton Reed shot 25% from three last year in a limited sample size. Anton Watson has three years worth of data indicating that he's not a good outside shooter. Caden Perry 
not a part of his game. Not going to be a part of his game, barring a very surprise transition. Braden Huff, I believe, is an outside shooter, but I don't think we're going to see him this year, quite frankly. And so that kind of leaves Greg. Greg is the guy, if he comes out and he can knock down 40% of his threes really consistently in-game, that could at least make Mark Few have to consider, maybe we need to find a way to get this guy on the floor. Ultimately, for Ben Greg, the question is not, is he going to be, Is can he shoot his way onto the uh, on the floor? It's, can he play enough defense that you can put him out there and he's not a liability? Because quite frankly, at times last year, and there was not a lot of time that he was on the floor, but when he was, he struggled on the end of the floor. And that's okay. He's a young kid. He's going to, you know, he's going to have things that he needs to grow and develop and skills that he needs to learn. And this year, there's not a lot of pressure on him to, to need to be perfect, to need to be fully developed just yet. There's a lot of time still for him to do that. But that is the area that if he doesn't, I don't care if he knocks down 55% of his threes, if he is a turnstile on defense and he's letting guys score around him, he's committing fouls on easy and ones, doing stuff like that, he's not going to play. So that's where I think things need to grow and change and develop for Ben Gregg. But at the same time, it's reasonable to look at this roster and think, well, Ben has a skill that nobody else in that big man room has. And if he can capitalize on that, he could earn more minutes. I don't think that's an unreasonable way to think at all. I just think there's some more steps that he needs to show in order to earn that playing time. All right, second segment coming up, we got more conversation. We're talking some theoretical coaching staffs for the Zags. We're talking about some NBA Zags. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about Bet Online. College basketball may be over, but the NBA Finals are still raging on, and the MLB, the WNBA, and more continue into the summer. BetOnline is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. They have lines for coaching changes across every major sport, so even in the offseason, you can get your fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags. And the ultimate NBA mock draft starts on June 16th, just a couple of days away. Over 50 insiders, nothing, nothing equals the ultimate NBA mock draft. The locked on NBA big board draft experts plus the Odyssey insiders all together. The first pick is June 16th. Search ultimate NBA mock draft and follow now so you don't miss a pick. All right, three more questions here in segment two. First question for segment two, also by Jacob Quarter 2. Spoiler alert, he has the first question in segment three as well. His question here today, which two Zags do you wish could face off in a game of horse and who would win between them? So I could have probably came up with 25, 30, maybe 40 different examples here of really fun games that I would like to see. I'm assuming that all these matchups are happening with both players in their respective primes. Uh, The first one that came to mind uh, is two of the best shooters that I can think of in Gonzaga history, Uh, two very similar players. Uh, That would be, uh, of course, point guard Dan Dickow and point guard Kevin Pangos, two guys who hit nine three-pointers in a game in their career. Uh, At their peak, I, I... it's a toss-up between these two guys on who would actually win. I think it's probably Kevin Pangos, but I, I think if these two guys were to play a game of horse, 
10 times in a row. I think one wins five times and the other guy wins five times because I think these guys are both extremely talented, creative shooters, and I think it'd be a really fun matchup. I tossed a couple other ones on here too, just for fun. Uh, Stephen Gray versus Matt Bolden, two of my favorite guards from my first season. Uh, as a fan of Gonzaga, or at least as a student at Gonzaga, those two guys were really fun and also very creative as well. Achillian Tilly versus Chet Holmgren, which would be a very fun matchup of outside shooting bigs. I put Holmgren as my potential winner there uh, for the previous matchup between Gray and Bolden. I put Stephen Gray as the potential winner there. And then Kyle Wilcher versus Adam Morrison, just a fun matchup of dudes who can really shoot it, who have NBA plus level range uh, as outside shooters. Uh, I don't think there's a single player in Gonzaga history who I would take over Adam Morrison in a game of horse. So I'm going to lean Morrison for this one as well. Next question comes from Stephen Carr at SCARGO on Twitter, a familiar name, hopefully, to many of you as the former host of the Locked On Zags podcast and now an employee at the great Gonzaga University. Stephen asked, specifically saying, hey, I know how, how light content is in June and July, so hopefully giving you some thought experiments here, which I appreciate. Thank you, Stephen, for that. His question, if you could make a four-person coaching staff of former Zags to take over a brand new D1 program, who would they be and why? So there's not any caveats in the question, so I'm assuming that means that I am allowed to ch to choose people who are already coaching, which I think feels a little bit like cheating. I'm going to do one with those guys and one without those guys. If we're taking guys who played at Gonzaga, former Zags, and it doesn't matter whether they're current coaches, then my four-man coaching staff quite easily, in my mind, is Brian Michelson, who is, of course, already on staff at Gonzaga and potentially going to be the person who takes over for Mark Few. Uh, Stephen Gentry, also already on staff at Gonzaga. If he's good enough to be on Mark Few's staff, I got a feeling he's good enough to be on a lot of other Division I coaching staffs. Uh, Kyle Bankhead, a former Gonzaga player who also is now an assistant coach at the University of San Francisco. He was a longtime assistant at San Diego under Bill Greer, a former Gonzaga coach. Uh, he also was an assistant coach at Abilene Christian last year and is now taking over at USF for his first season. Again, good enough to coach in the WCC. I'm pretty sure he's going to be good enough for this theoretical team as well. And then my final choice here is Sean Mallon. Mallon is the head coach at Ferris High School in Spokane, of course, a former Zag as well. I put Rem here as my fifth option. Maybe we put him in a player personnel role, which is what he's doing under coach Tommy Lloyd. Uh, maybe he's the Dobo, something like that. You could pretty easily replace any of these guys with Rem as well. Uh, I think he's going to be a phenomenal coach in his career as we continue to watch it progress uh, since he left Gonzaga. Now, if we're talking not current coaches, because I think that might be more the spirit of the question slash I got some time today, so let's do one with non-actual coaches. Uh, Nigel Williams-Goss was the first and easiest decision that I made here. He's an incredibly cerebral basketball player, highly intelligent, uh, well-spoken, and I think point guards tend to be people who who have a really good grasp on kind of coaching concepts. They're obviously the ones who, who carry out the plays, who call the plays, who make some of those decisions, so that's usually... Uh, good place to start. I put Gary Bell here. I kind of feel like that's sort of cheating as well. He is on staff for the Zags as well uh, in a different capacity than specifically coaching, but 
still potentially could move up the ranks uh, as a potential coach. Uh, other options, Corey Kispert, obviously a long ways away from having his playing career be over, but another guy who who talks about the game very well uh, and I think would would, would play that, rep, that role as a coach particularly well. And then my last option here, Derek Rivio, mostly because you got to coach guys to make those dang free throws and nobody was better in their career, almost in all of college basketball, than Derek Rivio was at knocking him down from the charity stripe. Final question of the segment comes from Mike Miller at MillerMike123 on Twitter, who says, who is the next Zag to win an NBA championship? So I thought for a while about this. I thought about, you know, the players in the current rosters that they're on. I thought about Memphis, who I think is the team that currently employs a Zag that has the best chance of winning a national championship or an NBA finals, I should say, uh, with Brandon Clark, of course, on that team, Killian Tilly on that team as well. I'm not super sold that Memphis is... NBA Finals caliber just yet. That doesn't mean that they won't get there. They have been really, really successful in the draft in recent years, not just John Morant and Brandon Clark, which was an incredible year, but Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson, like they have done a really good job at building a roster through the draft. If they continue to do that, I think they have a chance of competing in the Western Conference. But I'm not quite there with them yet. Washington, not a good team with Rui and Corey and Joel. Orlando is not a particularly good team. Whatever team drafts Chet Holmgren, which could, of course, be Orlando, that's going to help them, but they're still a few years away, most likely. San Antonio, where Zach Collins plays, not super sold on them right now. Sacramento is bad. Maybe they got the fourth pick. Maybe they can turn that into something and turn things around in the Western Conference with DeMontis Sabonis, but... Not super sold there. So if it's not anybody that currently employs a Zag, then who is it going to be? So my prediction here is Andrew Nembhard. Andrew Nembhard is going to be selected in the NBA draft, almost certainly. A lot of players, people have him in the late first, early second conversation. Certainly a lot of teams picking in the early second round are not very good teams, which would be unfortunate. But I think if you have a late first or early second round pick and you are trying to win a championship, if your goal next year is we want to be in the NBA Finals, if you're a team that's currently there like Boston or Golden State or some of those aforementioned teams like Memphis or other teams that are right on the cusp, you're not going to use that pick on a guy like Peyton Watson out of UCLA who's a freshman who didn't play particularly well last year who has sky-high potential but probably isn't going to be a, a rotation NBA player for a couple of years. Patrick Baldwin Jr. out of Milwaukee, those kinds of guys, those those picks make sense for teams like Orlando who are picking in the early second round. But if you have a late first pick or an early second pick and you're trying to win a championship, you want a guy who's going to help you right away. Andrew Nembhard in that area of the draft is about as good as it's going to get. You know that he's going to come in. He's going to be third string point guard. He could easily be a second string point guard if necessary. Give you 10 to 15 minutes per night. He's not going to make mistakes. He's going to knock down open shots. He can facilitate a pick and roll effectively, which is what basically every NBA team does right now. He's not going to be an elite defensive player, but he's not going to kill you on that end of the floor either. Every team could use a guy like this. Memphis is a popular, popularly discussed team for Andrew Nembhard because they could use a guy exactly like this. But he could end up in Golden State. He could end up in Boston. He could end up in a lot of other places where he might be competing for an NBA Finals, uh, an NBA championship in year one. So nobody else, I think, is conclusive enough to pick over Nembhard. So even without knowing what team he's on, I'm going to lean him for right now. All right, two segments down. We're going to come back in the third segment and answer even more listener-submitted questions right after this.
All right, segment three, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zag, still hammering through Mailbag Monday here in mid-June. Appreciate all of you who have reached out to ask questions for for Mailbag Monday for this time of the year, it's always very appreciated to be able to still talk Zags on a daily basis, even this far removed from the season. This next question, like I said, from Jacob Quarter 2. Jacob says, which two Zags do you think would be the best in a buddy cop movie? <laughs> These are the kind of questions I live for. This is why we do Mailbag Monday even in the off season. This is why we have this daily podcast so we can talk about things like this. Uh, the obvious choice here is Shem and Rem. It's the obvious choice. Shem, of course, that's Shema Karnowski, Rem Bakamis. They were really, really close friends when they were at Gonzaga together. They remain very close friends. They have the iconic Christmas shot uh, from a few, you know, from a few years ago where they read Christmas stories on the news. Uh, their Shrek and Donkey nickname was was very, very uh, logical for the two of them in so many ways. Uh, I think a buddy cop movie with the two of them. I would watch that right now. I do not have producer-level insight. I don't have the kind of money to fund a movie like that, but I would greenlight the heck out of that if somebody tried to sell it to me right now. A couple other options that I thought of that I think would be fun, uh, Kevin Pangos and Gary Bell, uh, two guys who obviously played very close together for four years to have fairly differing personalities. I think that would be a fun one as well. Uh, Kelly Olenek and Sam Dower. Again, really similar guys, uh, a lot of fun. They're best, best friends still to this day. I think that would be really fun. Uh, Rob Sacre and Stephen Gray, uh, pretty much anytime you talk about making some kind of funny movie with Zags, I think you got to find a way to include Big Rob in there. The man is absolutely effortlessly hilarious. And I think him bouncing off Stephen Gray would be very, very fun. And then my last one, the only options that actually didn't play with each other at Gonzaga to be clear, uh, is, of course, Jalen Suggs and Chet Holmgren, who uh, have a very goofy dynamic in terms of stature, similar to the Shem and Rem one. Uh, and they're very different guys personality-wise in a lot of ways, but they're also already friends. And I think a buddy cop movie between the two of them would be quite hilarious. Maybe if he goes to Memphis, or excuse me, Orlando, maybe, and the, the two guys become very popular in Orlando, which they would because they're very, very talented basketball players. Maybe somebody else will make a short video or a commercial or something with that theme because I would watch the heck out of that as well. Next question comes from Goldbloom M on Twitter who says, any implications on the basketball program from baseball coaches DUI? Normally I'd say no, but this is starting to be a coaching pattern. Uh, so yeah, so Mark Metcalf, the head coach for the Gonzaga baseball program, was arrested for a DUI for anybody who had not seen that story. Uh, it is a developing story, so I'm not going to comment a ton more on the details of the specific story at this point. Uh, the question here, any implications on the basketball program? No. Uh, simple answer, no. No, there's not. I, I don't know how there could be, quite frankly. I don't see how uh, the administration would would punish the basketball staff for this, would punish Mark Few for this. I don't see how recruits would be shying away from Gonzaga because of I, if, if they were shying away from Gonzaga because of what Mark Few did, that wouldn't have anything to do with what the baseball coach did. I, I would be surprised if there's recruits or anybody who's like, well, now that two coach, like, I, I just don't think that that's going to be something that imp that specifically impacts recruits or anything regarding the Gonzaga basketball program. Is it an issue that two coaches have been arrested for DUI and like deservedly arrested for DUI uh, in the last calendar year? Yes, it is a pretty big problem. There's no debate about this. This is I, I, I feel for the new athletic director, Chris Standiford, for taking over a week before Mark Few got his DUI, which was very unfortunate timing, and now he's presided over this. It was one of the most successful years from a 
purely on the fo- on the court, on the field, on the pitch, whatever uh, in Gonzaga athletics history. But these two instances really mar what was an otherwise incredible year. It, it's really tough to see this happen for a baseball program that has had so much positive momentum in the past year. The past couple of seasons, they've been phenomenal. Uh, and then to see their season end somewhat abruptly with, with poor performances by the team, uh, and then to see this happen right afterwards, of course, on the heels of, of Danny Evans passing away, the associate head coach, longtime associate head coach for the program. Uh, this is a huge bummer. There, there's no other way to put it. This is a huge program, bummer. Does it impact the basketball program? No. Does it impact the baseball program? Yeah, a lot. A lot. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. I don't know if he's going to lose his job. I don't know if he's going to face a suspension. Uh, I don't know, you know, and when we talk about implications, I suppose the word implications is so wide ranging. I guess I don't know how to answer this question because what could happen is the baseball coach could get a more severe punishment than Mark Few. I think that's fairly possible. His, again, I don't want to comment too much on developing details, but if many of the details we're hearing are true, it's, it's bad. I mean, this looks really bad. And if the baseball coach suffers a severe penalty, there will be some pushback on, well, this makes Mark Few's penalty look bad, blah, blah, blah. Again, is that going to impact the basketball program all that significantly outside of just conversation about the, the pen, bringing, basically rehashing an old story? Probably not, but it's not good. Anytime that people are talking about what Mark Few, what happened to Mark Few, it's not good for the Gonzaga basketball program. Uh, and certainly it's not good for the Gonzaga baseball program. It's not good for the Gonzaga athletic department. But I don't see any very specific, tangible ways this is going to impact uh, the basketball program. Final question of the segment and of the show is the second one from Miller Mike 123 on Twitter. He says, who's your pick to win the NBA Finals? Does Steph get Finals MVP even if the Warriors lose? So I do think Golden State is going to win this. I also am not a huge NBA watcher. I used to be more so uh, in my younger days. I'm a huge Portland Trailblazers fan. I remain a Portland Trailblazers fan. This was not a particularly fun year to be a Portland Trailblazers fan. I was a huge, remain a huge CJ McCollum fan. I understand why the franchise traded him, but it was tough to see. It was tough to see the the lineups that they were rolling out towards the end of the year with Damian Lillard, of course, being hurt. Uh, I'm still rooting for them, and I'm excited to see their future, but I have watched less NBA basketball as I've become more engrossed in college basketball as a sport in general. Uh, but I've been checking out a little bit of the NBA Finals, at least been tracking the highlights when I haven't been watching the full games. Uh, it's it's as love them or hate them, and I know a lot of people hate them. Uh, the Golden State Warriors coming back after kind of being down for a few years and, and getting everybody healthy and back in it is, is a pretty great story. It's pretty impressive. Uh, shout out to them. Steph has been incredible. I would be surprised if he won finals MVP, if Boston still wins the series. Uh, We've seen this in the past. One of my favorite stories is the year that Andre Iguodala was awarded the NBA Finals MVP for Golden State because of how how well he defended LeBron. That was effectively the reason that they gave him the award. As they said, he was he was absolutely lights out defending LeBron. LeBron in that series, uh, more points per game, more rebounds per game, more assists per game, more steals per game, more blocks per game than everybody else on either team. All of them. Everybody. Everybody. And the winner of the finals MVP was not only not LeBron, who swept every category, but was the guy who guarded him effectively because of that. I find that to be a baffling decision and not necessarily one that should preclude Steph Curry from winning MVP if Boston wins the series, but it makes me feel a little bit less likely that they wouldn't find a way to give it to Tatum or Horford or Jalen Brown or, or somebody else uh, on Boston. Heck, maybe they give it to Marcus Smart for his defense against Steph. I, we, we, there's a precedence that says that that could be a situation that happens uh, depending on how the rest of the series shakes out. 
All right, that is going to do it for me today. We have multiple guests already lined up for this week, including another former player. Super excited about that interview right here on the Locked On Zags podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts and available on YouTube as well. Finally, thank you again to those of you who have made Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. Now make sure to go check out the Locked On NBA Big Board. Host Raphael Barlow from NBA Draft Junkies and author of the NBA Big Board newsletter is joined by Richard Stamen, Sam Ferris, and Leif Thulin, giving fans an in-depth look into the NBA draft, mock drafts, player rankings, and of course, big boards. It is free and available wherever you get your podcasts. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.